Hello and welcome to this Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. If you haven't tuned in before, the Law in Sport podcast is here to help you understand the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport. I'm delighted to welcome our special guest today, Alvaro Gomez de la Vega, who is the sports legal manager at Espanol. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and thanks so much uh, for taking the time out of your schedule. Um, I'm I'm delighted to have you on the podcast, as you know, you know, we're friends. Um, but in particular, the reason why I wanted you on here is that um, I think we both share an interest, a genuine interest in sort of legal developments, but knowledge sharing and knowledge building um, on a personal level. And in particular, if you haven't, I'm going to say this at the outset, if you don't uh, follow or not connected to Alvaro on LinkedIn, you need to. He purpose, as I said this to you, just to embarrass you, you for me, you you make some of the best posts on LinkedIn in terms of actually useful information uh, and analysis. And so, thank you. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Learning Sports. I think it's uh, maybe the best website for professionals in uh, sports law. And uh, it's a true honor to be here to share this, my experience and uh, my little knowledge of uh, sports law. And uh, I really appreciate the invitation. Really, I do. Oh, thank you. And so, before we uh, get into anything else, your career path, like most people, it seems in the sector, is unusual slightly. You've been around the world. Uh, can you just give an overview uh, for those people that don't know you, um, how you got into football and sports law generally, and you know how you ended up now at Espanol? Actually, it was pure luck uh, because uh, I would have appreciated that my college have... Uh, had given me some kind of guidance or some kind of subject that was related to sports law. I, I liked that uh, during the, all the five years I did my bachelor degree in law. And, uh, well, I met this uh, guy in a job fair in Madrid. And he was working in a law firm that I was interested in, to, in getting into. So I, I tracked him down and uh, all of a sudden he switched his uh, job as a lawyer in that law firm to become a legal counsel at FIFA. And I had no idea about FIFA having <laughs> even a legal uh, legal department. So it was uh, kind of shocking, quite, quite revealing and eye-opening. And uh, I start uh, looking more into the, into the detail of uh, all the whole sports uh, legal sector. And I, I found it was amazing things that I read in the newspapers, but I, I never paid too much attention to. And uh, it, it was so, so great to, to know that this world existed and uh, that they had uh, job positions opening from time to time. And the first one I applied to, unfortunately, I didn't get into. But the second time I I did it, uh, I was lucky enough to to get into the player status department. And what was the gap between the job applications? Yeah, the thing is, that I I did uh, a master's in uh, international law for the legal practice, and I had no idea neither that uh, we had legal sports masters. I was not aware of ISDE. I was not aware of uh, Loughborough and other really interesting programs that existed. Maybe I was too focused on becoming a commercial, like uh, commercial lawyer. Uh, in terms of, uh, I, I got into the retail sector, but uh, I had no idea that this existed and that you can make a living out of it. And <laughs> it was kind of of, of shocking that uh, to to find that uh, three or four years <laughs> were a complete waste of time. Couldn't like I, I could have getting into it uh, <laughs> sooner. But thank God, I, I got a really interesting opportunity in FIFA. Uh, I got in, into the player stages department, as I said. And I found that uh, there were many, many things that uh, we ignore. Uh, this department was dealing with employment and litigation, also economic disputes, and it was quite interesting and uh, a good job. Uh, to find uh, some some things that uh, we don't see, we, we tend to to see football something glamorous with big stars, big competitions, but there's another huge world of uh, problems with uh, employment issues, uh, economic disputes, things that we we don't see, we are not aware of, and 
and it was shocking to find this and it's, for me it's an amazing world and i think it's a great point you make in terms of we talk about this all the time both privately and and also publicly that what you read in the papers is just often just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what else is going on it's, you know um so you move for them from i want to come back to something you said earlier um in a minute but before we do just finish off the, your story then so you, you're at fifa how, how long how long are you at fifa for i was uh, for one year and a half uh then the, i came back to the retail sector which uh, was uh, <laughs> i think a mistake and then i got into small practice in sports law in Chevelle law office in, in lisbon in portugal and it was it was good uh, because that I think it has been the most uh, the the role I learned I learned from the most. It, it was small practice, and I began with uh, solidarity contribution and training compensation cases. But uh, I had a lot of uh, autonomy to to find clients and uh, to do this uh, commercial role, and I think I, I made a. An impact in the law office, and uh, I brought some clients. And starting with that core business they had, I was able to bring a diversity of cases to to the law office, and that allowed me to get more into what I wanted to be. Uh, at some point, uh, I found I I called um, <laughs> a, a club. I was claiming against them. <laughs> And they told me that uh, there was a position in their legal department if I was interested. So I decided, yes. <laughs> I was talking with uh, with the legal counsel, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, let's gonna do this quick because I'm moving to to another company and uh, I need to solve everything quickly." And I was like, "Okay, that's interesting. Uh, any replacement on mine?" And they were like, "No, but uh, we like how you work, and uh, if you're interested, send a curriculum." And so I did, and I, I got into the, the legal department of Malaga Club de Football. And, uh, well, that, that was a big challenge, of course. Uh, new city, new club, first uh, experience in, in a football club. And uh, we had all kind of issues with, <laughs> with the club. If, uh, I don't know if you have seen, but uh, the, the owners, they were kind of um, problematic. We have a sex scandal with the coach, many, many things uh, going on. And also it was a really good school. Uh, also, it was an amazing club with amazing people. And I learned a lot from, from that experience. Can I ask you something? How did you deal with... So you've got this broad range of experience, which I think is interesting, right? So you've got the retail experience, and then you've moved across to FIFA, back to retail, into a private practice uh sports firm and then you managed to get into a football club where at the time when you first went into malaga where would you say when you first joined was your biggest area of weakness or the, the area that you weren't necessarily as prepared for as, as you would have liked to have been well i would say that uh some internal proceedings with financial fair play with la liga i i had this is a, a whole universe of uh, legislation and rules and regulations uh, I didn't know. And at the beginning, it was very tough because <laughs> they're written in a way it's very hard for anybody to understand. And I had to work very, very hard to, to understand them because uh, the club was in a situation where it got relegated. It got stuck in second division and the incomes and you, you receive when you, go, when you get relegated uh, financial aid from La Liga. And you can split it or receive it at once. Uh, Malaga decided to receive it at once. And uh, the second year, you, you don't have that economic air, oxygen, that uh, allows you to compete at the highest level. So we have to be prepared for that scenario. And it was, for me, very hard to understand uh, these radiations. Also, we had some uh, limitations on the position players and uh, that was also very very hard to understand and and so how did you tackle that because presumably then if you've been relegated you probably don't have a big legal budget so <laughs> you're probably being asked to, to cover off a lot of that yourself it's it's funny because I, I had to to deal of course with uh, the head of legal but we were two people and I had to deal with 
every single legal aspect from the club. We cannot, we could, we couldn't afford to outsource anything. So I had to deal with uh, commercial legal contracts, employment disputes. I had to attend to the court, also with uh, public administration, which was also very, very tough because we had some uh, a certain situation regarding some piece of land that was supposed to be used for uh, a new training fields. And uh, that was also kind of challenging. Also, I found myself at some point that I was alone. Uh, unfortunately, my my boss was was fired, and I had to deal with all these things all by my by myself. And it was a uh, very very consuming because at some point I had to stop <laughs> going to the gym and stay in the office as of nine a.m. until ten eleven p.m. So being alone, it's it's it was good from a perspective that I, I learned a lot and uh, I gained some confidence at some point, but uh, it was really really tough uh, sometimes, and you have a lot a lot of doubts and, and you question yourself every day, of course. And so what so so what did you learn? What was the big? So if you were to say if they say for example a similar situation was to happen now what would you be better prepared for or how would you know what would you change in terms of how you approach that uh that's a tough one <laughs> to be honest uh i think that uh i will try to to find some time for myself and uh, the good thing is that experience uh makes you uh go in, into all problems with with an old perspective, if it's if that is correct, I, I don't know. But uh, you you deal with problems uh, with uh, with an approach with more confidence that this has happened before. Mm, you're more prepared. But uh, I think I will do the things the same the same way I did it. I, I had to face uh, to dismiss several colleagues, and that was tough. But uh, thank God uh, I tried to do it in the most human way possible. Uh, always trying to be very accurate and trying to take time to to double check things. Maybe that's something I, I will try to improve. To because, sorry, uh, because you have these problems at the beginning and you're like overwhelmed. But when they have happened before, it's like you're uh, you, you have more time like. It's not the same shock as the beginning, so you have more time to prepare yourself. Well, it's like um, you desensitize yourself to it slightly. So it's a bit like if you're going to never played football in front of a big stadium before, and then you play football in a big stadium, then you come used to it. The key thing that I thought was really interesting to highlight, because particularly at this moment in time where everyone's under a lot of pressure, whether you've got a job or haven't got a job, there's various, so many pressures, additional pressures going on with the pandemic at the moment. The key point that you say, and I think it's such a wise uh, piece of advice to, that we should all take note of, is that, you know, make time for yourself. And I think, you know, when you feel like, you know, you're under a lot of pressure, you've got to get, you've got to get a lot done. There's a very good piece of advice there, which is, you know, even no matter how busy you are, it's always good to try to give half an hour, an hour to yourself. It's very easy to collapse at some point. And you need to have your mind sometimes interchange with other staff. I think uh, you and me find it very amazing to do our own research about sports law. And, but try to keep your head out of the office for at least one or two hours uh, in these high peaks of work. And try to find something that makes you happy and keeps you entertained and makes you go back to work with uh, fresh air, new mentality, um, and focused, which is, uh, I think, the, the main point. I think that's great advice. I think that's fantastic advice. Um, and so now coming on to your, your new role at Espanol, can you just talk a bit about you know, your current position, how the club is kind of structured and the legal function? At some point, uh, I got this job offer. And, uh, well, they, they didn't have uh, an in-house lawyer on the sporting area, which in a club like Espanol, it's uh, very important. And the new CEO realized about that. And um, what I'm currently doing, it's uh, all the legal aspects in connection with, with the team, with all teams, male, female, first team, second team, 
uh, gel teams. And I do basically everything uh, from disciplinary proceedings, litigation, implement related issues, FIFA claims, and uh, like basically I'm doing my own drafts of, of, of the agreements and uh, try to implement uh, more effective ways of uh, dealing with uh, with uh, high peaks of work when we are in the mar- winter or summer market. I mean, it, it depends on on the on the period of time we're. So, how does it fit with the rest of the sort of like management structure, and where does the legal sit as a function within the club? So, like, how many colleagues do you have in legal? And I depend basically on the CEO, and in that part of uh, of the legal department, I'm by myself. But I have to work a lot with uh, the sports director. Uh, with uh, the people working with uh, the junior teams, uh, with the coordination of the uh, women's team, basically with everybody. Also, I have to deal sometimes with uh, personal issues of, of the players, like such as uh, when, when they move into Barcelona, they need to do the, this paperwork that has to be done. I mean, it's uh, many, many tasks, all, all related with uh, the players, the staff, and... Uh, course with uh, the transfers and all the things that are related to them brilliant and it's so it sounds like a really interesting role though like is in you know different teams different levels obviously and all the regulatory issues that come with that i'm enjoying it yeah you look like you're enjoying it as well <laughs> when we spoke you it's a uh, sounds like a a good club to be part of yes it's a it's a big family it's a club of uh it's I mean, we are in Barcelona, of course, many people tend to like Barca better, but we are a small family. Our uh, motto is a wonderful minority. And uh, this team is amazing. They have achieved so much uh, despite uh, all the tough times they have lived in. And uh, we have new challenges to get back to first division as soon as possible. But it's it, I'm I'm it's really enjoying this this work because it allows me to go. I'm I'm forgetting this corporate side I was doing in Malaga, and I'm more focused on the sporting on the sporting area, which is uh, the one I enjoy the most. And also, I'm like mm, involved in some relevant decisions, and uh, I my perception is that my my voice is is heard and taking into account and. I think this is the the best award I, I can receive uh, from my job. That's great. And so since you've been involved in football, what have you, if you were to sum up sort of what you have seen change over the years, and, uh, you know, obviously you've been at FIFA, you've been at um, you know, Malaga and now at Espanyol. I'm, I'm gladly seen uh, many changes in, in FIFA. I think Emilio Garcia Silvero, who's a Spanish lawyer and who's head of, of legal in FIFA, it's brought this uh, pro bono idea for some cases, which I think it's wonderful. I think the, the clearinghouse they're trying to implement with uh, solidarity and training compensation is, is going to be a great idea. I think there are many law offices that uh, make a profit in a not very ethical way of, of these claims. And uh, I think this, this will uh, prevent some corruption also from uh, FAs that uh, were doing passports by tailor made and also they have implemented a litigation department uh, that uh, has has been working very well with uh, cast cases i think the the, the legal department needs some uh, fresh air and uh, emilio and uh, the people he brought in uh, they, they have uh, of course made a contribution that that uh, has been uh, very efficient and i think it's it's working quite well well, I, I talk about this a lot because I think as from a sports law geek perspective, it's really interesting what's taking place at FIFA. And I always say to people, if you had said five years ago, we would be where we are now in terms of uh, changes to regulations, uh, more concise regulations, um, all of the materials in terms of they're pushing out in terms of guides and guidance notes. Um, it's really helpful. And I think on the point you were saying, something we've discussed as well, is that then the lawyers involved in the space can actually do stuff that adds more value rather than getting paid for doing work that really should be, they should have had access, people should have had access to that low level type of information in the past that they previously otherwise wouldn't have. 
I think they have uh, they have made a, a great analysis about uh, the weaknesses of each legal department in, in FIFA. And uh, Erika Montemor, who, who was working in previous status, is now the head. Uh, she has done an amazing work. She has split it uh, into task forces, uh, the department. And now you, when you present a case, they give you like uh, a first approach with the potential decision without getting into too much detail, which I think is great because it saves uh, a lot of time for all the for the claimant and the respondent. If it's a very crystal clear case, there's no need of two exchanges of correspondence, and I think the that that part was also <laughs> very well implemented. And also, we are seeing uh, some developments in, in Spain as well. Uh, we are now facing a great challenge. Uh, it's very recent the, the professionalization of women's football, which uh, in Espanol uh, we have always supported uh, our female. Uh, uh, footballers and uh, I think it's going to open uh, a nice scenario for, for the, its development uh, I think that the league has a lot of potential and uh, we hope to be in the in the task force and uh, to get a, a good result and to do this in, in a proper way I think it's a good chance to start something from the scratch and and it's it's amazing to to be in this in this club in this moment. Well, I think the women's women's football is just so exciting into potentially where it may lead to, and also as you said that the the thing that's so good about it is this clear where many countries there's a as you say a blank slate in which you know you can actually work and build something that without all of the problems that have happened in the you know and hopefully sort of removing some of the politics that's happened in men's football. And bring it into the women's game, uh, and so it can advance at a, a more rapid pace. I don't know if you use this expression, but uh, in Spanish we say that to grow the tree straight, and it's uh, like make things uh, properly from the very beginning, that the, the tree doesn't go in the diagonal or because straight up. So I think this is the good thing about the, the professionalization of, of women's uh, football. And we have seen a, a great uh, increase of interest on, on women's football. If, if you compare the 2015 World Cup in Canada, I think it was with uh, with the last World Cup in France. It's it's tremendous. It's uh, for the first time also Spain was uh, qualified for the final round. And uh, we have seen that uh, there, there's talent, of course. Absolutely. Well, I was. Uh... I had the pleasure of um, chairing a panel for uh, Reyes Belva's uh, conference and there was a really um, interesting analysis from the speakers where they were saying that actually COVID has helped in a, to the extent that not having fans in the stadium has made people focus on the actual product, which is the game itself and the players playing. And at that stage, the gap is not quite as big, right? When you don't have the fans there, you're all just watching football and, and, and the gap is closing in terms of, um, as all the reports indicate, in terms of technical ability, um, which is no doubt tied to often access to um, infrastructure and support and coaching and facilities and everything else that goes along with it. Um, given the um, focus on cost controls within football, particularly given during the pandemic, there is this focus on controlling how much is spent on player salaries. What is your take on the, the cost controls, and as we would say, salary caps for players? I think this is a measure that had to be done uh, way before. I think uh, the financial fair play is bringing a lot of stability to the competition. Uh, it's now very unlikely in the Spanish professional football to have a club uh, under insolvency proceedings or bankrupt. And uh, it, it provides prevention on, on problems that uh, can happen. And of course, they are not always uh, foreseen or not always you can avoid them. But uh, I think that uh, this financial fair play is a great idea. And uh, it uh, prevents uh, clubs from spending more what <laughs> of what they're earning, of, of their income. So uh, I think it's... Uh, 
it was a good implementation and uh, I think it should be a role model for for every league and I think uh, England of course has it and what's your take on on a sort of a hard hard a hard salary cap so the the cost control on uh players salaries directly so either like you know capping them at x amount as a squad or individually what's your do you have any views I think it should be on uh, on the squad of course and if you want to have one player having 5 million out of the 6 million you have to spend and the rest for the minimum wage, <laughs> that is your problem. But I think it's good to have this uh, overall amount that you can spend. Because, uh, for example, in Spain, we have seen cl- historical clubs going bankrupt and disappear, basically. Others were a little bit luckier that uh, they survived these situations. But uh, I, I, we spoke about this uh, Racing de Santander. It's an historical club uh, from uh, northern region of Cantabria. And because of poor management and spending these amounts and without having this compliance and uh, regulations and this no good governance uh, uh, regulations uh, from the Spanish league, they, they did uh, this, uh, this, uh, this lawyer administration that ended up in a criminal proceedings with the president of the board of, director, of directors sentenced to prison. This cannot happen, especially because... If we think about La Liga as a product, which is, you cannot have these sort of scandals and you cannot allow these things to happen because it, it clearly affects the competition. And we, we found this uh, two years ago in second division with Reus. Reus was disqualified, which was good because they were not paying salaries. But uh, maybe we have to seek for a more efficient uh, model that prevents this from happening. But of course, when you have uh, human beings uh, dealing with these sort of things, you cannot uh, always prevent or foresee that certain situations take place. And and so for those, hopefully by the time this comes out, we should have published your article. And the only reason I know as much as I do about the uh, Racing Santander case is because of one, your LinkedIn post, and secondly, because of your article. Now in that uh, case which I thought was really interesting and a problem that I that we see worldwide was the lack of real oversight in terms of how money was spent and where it was allocated both internally and externally there wasn't yes it had to come a, a minority shareholders association to point out that this poor management was taking place nowadays uh, La Liga has implemented uh, some uh, channels where you can claim against this, these issues which is great, but uh, we cannot. And I think uh, with this COVID situation, it's going to take place more and more because uh, this whole scenario is going to affect. Of course, if, if it affects the, the global economy, it's going to affect the uh, sports sector and football, of course. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the, the, the risk of higher higher risk of corruption seems very likely um, at this moment in time, given all the pressures that people are under. And so all these mechanisms are getting stress tested. Uh, So if you haven't got a good audit requirement, uh, it's going to be problematic. In terms of, um, you know, one, I'd recommend everyone reads that article. Of course I would, but you should you should read the article. It's fascinating and, and really interesting. And no doubt, I'm sure that if, as we would say, they, the curtain was to be pulled back on a, a different teams in different countries around the world. They'd probably see more type of conduct like that than, than we would like. Although I'm glad to say that there are, it does seem there's some changes afoot with the various leagues and others putting in these measures that you were talked about. The point also to highlight is the minority stakeholders in this group, in that group, were they the, the fans? Is that the fans association? No, the the ones who, who had a, a share of, uh, of the clubs of the club. Sorry. Um, those who back in the days they bought this share to when these uh, shares were issued some particulars bought them and uh, you have your right to vote and to um, your piece of uh, of the club your small piece of said the club's ownership and it, though it's, it's insignificant it makes a change because if a club it's divided into these shares as uh, in Spain most of the clubs are in professional football we have four exceptions, Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, Club Atlético Sasuna, and Atlético Club de Bilbao. 
those they are uh, they are not uh, private companies, to put it that way. But uh, I think it's important that uh, these minority shareholders uh, are aware of of how important they are, even though they have one share or, or two in a in a budget or in a um, uh, capital of uh, twenty million, for example. I think it's a great point you've raised, and this is why I want, sort of wanted to draw it out because sometimes we can look, you know, we have all this talk, and rightly so, but, uh, you know, have detailed discussions around fan ownership, the 50 plus rumble in Germany, what's the most effective way to hold people account. And in this, in the incident you're talking about, you're talking about people who have to have a really, truly minority shareholdings who can influence positive change, um, which is, which is a reason for, uh, you know, optimism, I think for all of us in, involved in the sector, uh, and involved in football. Um, in terms of moving on then, so it looks like that's going to be something that we should you know, keep an eye on more broadly um, and pay attention to. In terms of one thing that I was interested in, there's two things I wanted to go on to. What do you look for when you're look, uh, um, of, uh, looking for lawyers to work with, particularly outside counsel? What is it? What sort of characteristics or behavior do you look for? And then I want to come on to some other stuff that we talked about in terms of the, let's say, the next generation of lawyers coming through. I think uh, what I'm looking for, if I outsource uh, any legal service, it's to, first of all, to be transparent, clear, result-oriented, and a, a person who, who is analytical, who can foresee all potential scenarios, and that understands the needs I I share with with them about uh, what we're expecting. I think these are the the key points uh, that uh, make a lawyer successful and uh, that define a, a good legal service. And how do you find lawyers? So the question is for you. So if that's the characteristic you want nowadays, yeah, yeah, or just typically anyway, like if you were looking to. So you were so say for example when you when you went to Malaga you were you know, quite, um, how can we say, bold to say, hey, you know, that's interesting. Can you tell me more? What's going on there? You create an opportunity. How do you receive people pitching to you for work? Or um, what sort of, again, what, what, if you don't know people, what are you looking at? I mean, I, I've been teaching and I, I, I received many, uh, many emails uh, or many private messages asking for, for career career counseling. And uh, I think that many people are losing the focus on what they want to do. I think many people are seeing the picture of uh, being super glamorous, being to this top layer, taking pictures, being in a club, drinking champagne. And I think uh, this is, of course, <laughs> a really, really wrong approach. I think people are looking for popularity instead of relevance or uh, quality of work. I think we're seeing people that have no patience and they don't want to build a career. They want to be at the top as soon as, as possible. And I think this is going to lead to frustration, to poor legal service and uh, to unhappiness at the end of the day. I think uh, many people, they, they, they don't know what they want. And I think it takes some time. It took me some time to, to realize what I wanted to do, the way I wanted to do. And I think people, they, they, they are not uh, paying attention to all this uh, jurisprudence, this uh, case law that we have from CASA that is amazing. These small cases that, uh, be, because they are not uh, with uh, top athletes or super uh, big stars, they ignore them. And I think it's, uh, it's a big mistake because uh, even the, the smallest case can provide uh, a really good point of view, uh, some relevant uh, key issues that could help you in, in the future. And I think people are, are missing the details and they're uh, focusing on the big picture and not on, on the really, really, really long path that they have ahead of them. Because uh, to be honest, uh, we live in a global world. We, we are seeing that uh, every there, there are more uh, sports masters uh, programs and we have every year like new 100 sports lawyers and many of them I, I, I don't want to be pessimistic but it's going to be very hard for all of them to reach the highest in two years after they have done this, this program 
So it, it, it needs to take time. And I think the most important characteristic to, to progress in football is to be patient, to be respectful, because there are, there are no small tasks. Even if you have to do the, uh, I don't know, a, a ticket for, for speeding of a player, this could lead uh, to to gain his his trust and his confidence and to get into bigger cases, I think uh, we're lacking professionalism. We're lacking accuracy in 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 many in many works, and and we see that there's a uh, too much greed, in my opinion, that people are lacking ethics. Uh, Sorry, so to just draw this out for those people who are listening, because we've spoken about this before, and it's something that we sort of share a view on. Which and so I wanted to sort of distill it a little bit more, which is you're saying that uh, uh, sort of a junior level when you're first studying and you're coming into this perspective, don't look beyond the immediate task at hand. So to use a sporting analogy, you can't be saying, hey, I'm going to play for Spain or for England. You look at me, I'm going to be this superstar without getting into the team in the first. Yeah, I have, I have received requests of, of junior lawyers saying like, yeah, hire me. And uh, of course, I will deal with all these transfer agreements in the best way possible. I was like, okay, man, uh, I, I see your point. Uh, of, I don't know you, but in order for me to delegate you this, this sort of, of task, I, I need to see you how you, you work with, with the basics, of course. And people that uh, yeah, I, I admire that they are so confident and that they, they make the effort of contact reaching people. But many of them want to start from the highest and the the top of of the deals. Uh, you, you work in, in in legal football, and I think it it takes time and you need to to take your your time and uh, to be patient, of course, and uh, to. To do not disregard any any potential task, as small as it seems, uh, because it could lead you to to the way you want to be, to the to the place you want to be, and of course uh, you you will learn a lot because uh, this is not a static world; it's changing every day. And uh, if you're a service provider and you provide different solutions to different scenarios. Said as the speed ticket, but also with the immigration paperwork, uh, even the, the the lease agreement of a house, everything. It's it's the, the the reputation you earn, and I think it's quite useful. Do you know, it's interesting because um, I think I mentioned to you this when we spoke the other day that when I had the real pleasure of interviewing uh, Lord Dyson, who's one of our most senior judges and one of the most respected judges uh, in over the last 20 years uh, from the United Kingdom, really charming individual. And I asked him basically of, you know, he's always seen to be a high performer at every single level. And I said to him, do you think it's genetic or do you think it's something that you've learned? And he said, I don't know. He got a bit embarrassed and said, um, I'm not, you know, I don't know about that. But the one thing that I care about is my reputation. So I try and do the best possible job I can do at every given opportunity. And he said, he's now come up to you know, sort of retirement and he's saying, you know, it still bothers me now. And I just think that's such, what you're saying seems to echo that sentiment, which is such a simple but often overlooked point, which is do a, do a great job. If someone asks you to do something, do a great job because you, that, that is showing people that they can have confidence in you. Likewise, then, are you saying for service providers, for lawyers who are pitching football uh, in-house lawyers for work, they should likewise do a similar thing and not try to say, hey, we could do every single thing for you and you know, almost be boastful. What they should do is say, how can I help you? What can I do that's going to take what, – what am I going to do to take some work off you? Right, like as in – how can I improve the situation of my club, my client, the federation I work for? I mean, also, I'm going to tell you an anecdote, and uh, it's quite revealing. For me, it was the least. And uh, I was in this conference in Madrid, and we have a very an amazing panel. We have, uh, I, I was a, a viewer, of course, but we had a person from FIFA, a person from La Liga, and three really top, uh, like, very very talented lawyers that were were working in the in the best law offices in Spain, 
All of the sudden, Ronaldo Nazario, the Brazilian one, came into the room. And you had a, a room with a conference with many students from masters. Okay, the, the, the panel ended and uh, Ronaldo came in and all the students went straight to, to Ronaldo to take a picture, to make him sign autographs. Also, I heard one asking him for, for a job and we, you had five of, of the highest profiles in, in law from a, a private uh, area a legal uh, private practice from La Liga, from FIFA, and all of them, they were interested in, in getting into the picture with Ronaldo instead of talking with the people that share their profession and they will actually help them in their career. Because I, I don't want to be disrespectful with Mr. Ronaldo, but uh, as far as I know, I don't know if he's a, he's a barrister, but I don't think so. But uh, it... it makes you realize about how wrong people are with, with their approach. And it's, it's interesting, today I put out a tweet about this, which was because of various various things going on at the moment. But on a related point, I said everyone's got a point of view, but not everyone's got an informed point of view. And coming back to, and coming back to the earlier point is... It, I think social media made, made that uh, even more <laughs> obvious nowadays. Yeah, 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 really obvious, and and well, to some, but obviously, if you're coming into the, yeah, you know, much like you were talking about the glamour of football, I think it's really hard, both from the business of football, from the legal side of football, which I still put in the business of football, um, that it's really hard to get a true analysis of what's going on because a lot of the commentary around what is going on um, plays up to the glamour. Yeah, I think uh, the glamour takes all all serious analysis uh, out of consideration. But we are in, in a current situation that uh, it's going to lead us into very interesting legal issues. I think uh, we're seeing now racism uh, with uh, the events of uh, last Tuesday. It has shown us how, how much we need to work uh, uh, in, in, this, in this topic. Also with uh, this financial fair pay we were talking about also, the, the, the future of the competitions, the, there is an elephant in the room that, uh, that some clubs intend to make a, a super league, a European super league like the NBA. And uh, women's football as well. Also, the, no, maybe not in, a, in the near future, but uh, in a non-distant future, we will also see the, the adoption of of uh, transgender athletes into sports and uh, th these things you don't see and uh, you, you don't find a, a major interest uh, with the professionals or with the students I, I've, I've had uh, in the masters uh, I work with. So uh, I think we, we have ahead of us a whole universe of, of new legal challenges and it seems that we are not interested in, in what's, uh, what, what do we have uh, two miles from us. We are interested in, in what we have two meters from from our nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I think you're right. It's, it's, and it's a hard thing though to to pay attention to. You know, we get caught up, and, and I personally get caught up in stuff all the time on a day by day basis. Where I think, oh, this is really important, and then you like you see something in the news, and you get into it, and you think actually that maybe there's not quite as much substance as I first thought. Maybe the information that's being pushed out is not entirely accurate you know you really have to you know have a level of um uh critical eye let's say on everything that we're seeing but i think your point taken which we you know looking to the future all of these issues that you just raised are, are very uh, live now i think some of them you know but may not be getting the profile but certainly will be more so um and i think you know yeah, you know, just at our annual conference, the stuff around with you know data in particular and all the issues that come with that are just fascinating to see where it goes. Where would you see uh, to close off? Where would you? Where do you see the uh, sort of the the future role of lawyers within football? How do you see that developing? I think it's uh, going to to get. I, I hope it it will improve uh, with some profiles. I think. Uh, in-house lawyers are going to be more common in, in football clubs. And I, I trust it's going to be like that because we're getting into more complex situations, uh, even from a sports and a corporate uh, point of view. Especially in Spain, uh, we have this struggle, uh, 
this uh, rivalry between La Liga and the Royal Spanish Football Federation. And uh, also, we are seeing that uh, they're trying to make pro a third and fourth division. So I think uh, legal roles are going to become more and more relevant and more and more common. I, I hope so. What I hope is that uh, people realize that uh, we cannot leave knowledge into the surface, that we need to get into in depth uh, of, of the issues we're working with normally. And uh, I'm gladly seeing that UEFA and FIFA are, uh, are making changes. And I think um, this leaves a, a positive uh, feedback for, for all of us that uh, at least the people that are the most relevant in, in football you know, from an institutional point of view, they are actually making improvements and uh, they have made an analysis. They have taken the time to, to analyze what's going on and what can be done better and what can be um, put into to the drawer. And uh, I, I really hope also that uh, CAS uh, keeps also the improving. I think uh, nowadays we have splendid arbitrators from all over the world. Now they have also made official Spanish, and I, I think it's it's opening to to have more cases and uh, more known to the public. And I hope that us as lawyers share with no fear uh, our experience, uh, with no fear of uh, losing clients, losing business. Uh, that. We, there, there's uh, plenty of room for for all of us. There's no need to be greedy, and I really trust that uh, ethics and, and uh, good work, good quality, and accuracy are are reached. So um, I, I think it's a positive picture for the future. But uh, there is a lot of work to do, and we need to make the new incoming lawyers uh, aware that how tough this world this world is, and uh, how how much needed is uh, it's tough work. Uh, Joe, I love that sentiment though, which is, you know what, let's then obviously this is our, our our mission really, which is you know to help people understand the issues and how to apply the law and you know improve the sector as overall. But we say this all the time. You're better off being a small fish in a big pond than a big fish in a small pond. And particularly if you believe in rule of law, you should be encouraged to share your knowledge and information with others because that's how we can all improve, right? That's that's where we move the sector forward. So, Also, that uh, I, I think that uh, people shall adapt to new realities. And uh, I think that um, future, the, the programs, the masters, uh, the legal studies should be focused on of making a, a general, even though they are specific in, in this sports area, they have to provide also a, a broad vision of problems and, and provide uh, a broader, uh, I don't know how, how, how to say it, but uh, a broader point of view in order to, to have uh, lawyers that can provide different solutions, as I said, to different scenarios, not to be only focused on this particular area, because we know that uh, clients such as uh, football, footballers, clubs, institutions, associations, minority shareholders, associations, they're going to require from you to be uh, a lawyer, a multidisciplinary lawyer. And I, I really hope that the combination of being a specialized in sports law does not take this uh, generalistic... Uh, so I guess that's... I guess that's that depends. I guess, I guess it depends on the organisation you're working for. You know, if you're looking at say, say, say for example, Man City, they've got such a big legal team, or Man United, they can afford to have very specialist. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, but I, I, I think the point that you're making, though, more broadly, is about having a diversity of uh, experience and a diversity of knowledge in which you can basically you can have the right tools. Because even if you can't do it yourself, you know who you should speak to in order to resolve that problem. I think that is a great message, you know, particularly, you know, coming to the stuff that we're talking about around the racism stuff and, you know, issues around that. But we need, I think there's a, there's a real room for a diversity of thought and diversity of approaches to problem solve. Yeah. Also, also I have seen that, that, that many people are too afraid of, of asking because 
it makes you feel weaker or that you have no knowledge, but it's, it's normal that if you're not uh, practicing this particular area, this particular subject, you're not familiar. And I have found uh, many times uh, colleagues that are willing to give a, a hand and I, I have also made myself available. And I think we should uh, also encourage to, to trust colleagues. I think I think that's a that's that's one of the things that there is again the so one of the things that always is encouraging actually is the fact that so many people are willing to help so many people help aspiring sports lawyers so many people like share knowledge and information to say do that even though we're saying more people could do it there are a whole uh, wave of people who do do that so we should acknowledge them yourself included otherwise I would not know about half the things that, that, that I know now now know about <laughs> in terms of Spanish media rights which you talked about and written on and uh, racing Santander case. Of course, because, uh, for example, I, who, who, who better than you to enlighten me in the UK regulations in, in football or in sport? I mean, that's an information for, that for myself I cannot get or at least I may get lost easily. So I think we should be more uh, collaborative uh, at some point. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Well, on that note, thank you very much. Thanks for giving up your time. I really appreciate it. It's an absolute delight to speak to you. Um, as you know, I'm a, as I said, I'll say it again, if you're not following Alvaro on LinkedIn, you should. Absolutely. If you've got, if you're interested in football or sports law or particularly Spanish football, you should check out his updates. There's no reason that you don't speak Spanish to follow him. Like uh, I use the translate feature um, in LinkedIn, which helps me greatly. I, I, I hope this is not needed for this podcast. I, I apologize for all <laughs> the English native speakers. No, don't be silly. Don't be silly. I'm quite rusty, hey, but uh, you're doing way better than my Spanish. <laughs> well, I, I will help you with that gladly. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> it's on my list of things, but a time. You know, in a few years' time, I'll actually speak Spanish. That's my aim. We'll see. We'll see if I get there. But uh, no, seriously, thank you so much. Hope everyone, if you're tuning in, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, remember, you can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Instagram, all those places. And of course, if you've liked the podcast, if there's anything you've learned from the podcast, please do share it with everyone. We really would really appreciate it. And thank you for tuning in.